guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and these are trying times. It's hard on our mental health, our mental state. And this is why I love our sponsor today, BetterHelp. They're the largest online counseling platform worldwide. They change the way people get help with facing life's challenges by providing convenient, discreet, affordable access to licensed therapists. BetterHelp makes professional counseling available anytime, anywhere, through a computer, tablet, or smartphone. It's brilliant. Sign up today. Go to betterhelp.com backslash solving healthcare and get 10% off sign up fees. COVID has affected us all, and with all the negativity surrounding it, it's often hard to find the positive. One of the blessings it has given us is the opportunity to build an avenue for creating change, starting right here in our community. Discussing topics that affect us most, such as racism in healthcare, maintaining a positive mindset, creating change, the importance of advocacy, and the many lessons we have all learned from COVID. If you or your organization are interested in speaking engagements, send a message to quadcast99 at gmail.com, reach out on Facebook at Quadcast, or online at drquadjo.ca. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadjo Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. We are back for another Q&A session with the one and only Dr. Catherine Caravan Tang. How are you, my dear? Good. Noise. <laughs> we have different energy levels, you and I. Absolutely. Well, you're it's the, what you, makes our family work, actually. Yeah. It makes yeah. the whole world go round. Yeah. I'm like the moon and you're the sun. Like I'm yeah. the female energy and you're the male energy. For sure. I'm the mountain cat and you are <laughs> the cheetah it's like in yoga there's a ida and the pingala oh the pingala yeah i was gonna say like if i'm gonna be anything this week it's gonna be the pingala listen quadcast nation solving (laughs) wellness community pingala nation (laughs) listen another q a last time was successful you guys loved it we heard back from y'all and y'all said we want more do you want more and um you're right kathy there is different energy level i'm hyped today boy I'm hype. Um, so we thought we'd answer a few more questions. Are you, are you ready for this? Yep. Totally. All right. All right. Okay. Setting boundaries with patients. Actually, first thing I got to do is plug solving wellness. Yo, solving wellness. Listen, healthcare providers, we're doing our best to reduce burnout. We got, you go to solvingwellness.com. We've got virtual workouts, yoga sessions, even Kathy, every Thursday representing Horde, representing Horde. Nutrition tips, nutrition advice, cooking classes, mindful meditation, stress management tips. We're doing it all. And now we're doing our best to create that connection again, answering some of the questions from our members, just so that we can once again reduce that burnout, create that sense of community, and get through this together so we can provide better care for our patients. Speaking of which, this question ties directly into that. Okay, setting boundaries with patients, with staff. Self-care is saying no. But, fulfill, but fulfilling patient care without feeling guilty, not being able to do it all, you know, 
uh, how do we manage this? I think there's a lot of guilt. I've heard this many a times where people are like, I'm burned out and I know we need, I'm needed at work, but I'm just spent. Any thoughts on this young Catherine Caraman tank? Yeah. So I think this is probably an issue for the majority of healthcare providers that they feel like there's always more to do. There's always more that they can do to provide optimal care. And like we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot because we strive for excellence. We strive for optimal care, but then we don't have the resources to do what we would consider optimal care. We don't define that well, you know, so, um, and we don't provide the resources to do it. So I think that, um, I think that you're, if you're struggling with this, you're not alone. That's for sure. And um, I think that one of the one of the things that came to mind was that often when I've worked with healthcare professionals on on a, a professional level, like as a therapist, um, I often see sort of a superhero mentality. Like they think that they should be able to do it all, to do more than others, to give. And if you ask them what they think their colleagues should be capable of, or if they think their colleagues should be allowed to say no to something or take a day off or, you know, whatever it is, take stress leave or, or whatever, you know, take their breaks, even at work, they're like, oh, of course, of course they should be allowed to do that. They need to do that. We want them rested. We want them to be feeling better. You know, they, they work really hard, but then for themselves, for some reason, they feel like they're special and they shouldn't need the breaks. They shouldn't need the day, extra days off that type of thing. And so, um, one thing that I like to always remind people of is that you're not special. Like you really are not that special. And I don't mean that obviously, like it's kind of tongue in cheek. I don't mean it in a critical way. Obviously you're doing a wonderful job and, and you're special in that you're providing care to people, but you're not special in, your, in, in a lack of need for breaks and a lack of need for rest and for boundaries and for limitations on what you do. You don't have extraordinary abilities where you are the one person in the unit that can work without taking any breaks, you know, that can work without taking any extra days off, that can never get stressed out by things. And so um, just reminding yourself of that, that you are not a superhero. And in fact, what sustains you in your work is being able to set some limits and that work doesn't always set those limits for us. Patients aren't going to set those limits for us. Most of our patients aren't going to say, no, no, I actually don't need you to do that procedure, bring me this thing, whatever for me right now. I don't need you to hold my hand. I'm in pain. I, I need you to go take care of yourself and take a break. That's that responsibility is going to lie on you. So protecting yourself so that you can be more sustainable, um, in, in your practice is, is on you and you are not special, uh, in your need for that. And you're not special in that you don't need that, that you are just like everyone else and, and you need a break. And I mean, I just think what, what's great about what you're saying, Kuma or Kathy, Kuma is a, uh, do I need to explain that? That's it's a Ghanaian term for sister-in-law. It's what <laughs> Which his family tends either. to call me. But yeah, yeah, everyone was calling you Kuma. It's a nickname. So, yeah. It's a nickname. Uh, is that you're giving permission for people to, 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 to take a break, to set their limits. I must say, like, yeah. after seeing what our crew went through this third wave, um, I'll always advocate for this. When you know your limits and uh, you, when you are burnt out, 
like you could get to that point where there's like almost for some there's no return like the, you get tipped oh, yeah. off and, and you're like you know what I can't come back and so yeah. think about that level of inability to to care for patients and and you know just once again for you to be able to take care of our patients and 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 you know the families you you got to be sound and so like whatever it might take i think it's an important um message that you have that permission you have that right to make sure that you are all you're ready to go cuz um, and you have that responsibility you know i yeah, think that's another thing yeah like if you want to be the responsible caregiver to your patients your colleagues whatever in in this challenging healthcare environment right now if you want to be responsible in that part of your responsibility is setting limits and saying no that's part of your job. And it would be nice if somebody else did that for us. It'd be nice if a timer went off, ding, okay, break time, you know, and everybody just went on break when it was that time, but it's not the environment that we work in, you know? So, you know, part of your responsibility in providing care is also in caring for yourself. Actually in psychology, they talk a lot about this. Like it's part of our, our self-assessment that we have to do every couple of years. We actually have to fill out, um, for the college, what we are doing in terms of self-care and how we are doing mentally, you know, how we're taking care of ourselves and how we're doing. And I think that's actually like, I don't think that's a silly thing. I, I think that's real. I think we need to check in with ourselves. Um, another thing is to, I think, observe other people saying no, because I think often we don't note that very well you know um we notice what they do but we don't notice what they don't do we don't notice when they slip out not so taking note of when other people set limits and so that gives you a feeling of a little bit more permission to do that especially more senior and experienced uh staff will be better at doing that usually because they've probably gotten like everyone who when they start in healthcare, they kind of push 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 and they usually hit that first sort of mini burnout hopefully not a full burnout and then they have to come back from that and then they learn from that. And so I think more senior staff will have gone through that a little bit more. So watching how they do it as a model is a good way, but you might have to intentionally observe them uh, to see that you might not notice it. Uh, you know, they probably do it fairly quietly. They're not going to be like, Hey everyone, I'm going on break or I said no to this patient right now because I need to do something else. They're just going to have a way they do it. Um, and uh, practicing uh, practice. One big thing with saying no is practicing saying no for little things. So, you know, if it's something small that you feel easy to say no to at work, um, or if it's something small, even in your everyday life that somebody asks of you that, you know, like, Hey, do you want to go for a walk? And you're like, no, I don't want to go for a walk. Can you say no? Like just practice. No, Charlie, I do not want to go for a walk. <laughs> Leave me alone, Charles. So not everything has to be said with anger. You could also just <laughs> you could also just say no. No, thank you. I don't feel like that today. But just taking note of how many times you actually do say no and, and really observing in yourself the capability of doing that in all areas of your life uh, might give you a little bit more of that sense of permission and, and um, self-efficacy in being able to do that when you are at work. Um, and then the final point, you know, I always have a million points. Um, the final point on it is a bit of self-compassion. So like if we're not compassionate towards ourselves, um, then we're not going to feel like we are deserving of care, that we're deserving of limits and setting limits and boundaries is a big form of self-care. So, um, you know, taking some time, there's tons of great 
self-compassion meditations out there and workbooks and all this kind of stuff and, and podcasts you can listen to, absorbing some of that, seeing if you can journal a little bit around it or meditate a bit around it or just practice it in whatever way works for you um, so that you can start to build that sense within yourself that you are deserving of compassion and care as a human being, just as much as your patients are, frankly, just as much. You're a human being like they are. They might be in a different place of need, but you are also in need and your needs are not less than theirs. They're just different and they still need to be met. You know, there's two points I really liked about that. Um, the practicing saying no, I think is an important one because I know it could be challenging to many of folk. I think also if I don't know what you think about this, but when you say no, like you, a lot of people think they got to give a dissertation on why, mm. like some people will just, you know, Oh yeah, my kids are doing this, blah, blah, blah. Like all this kind of like justification for it. But I don't know. I, in my mind, not, not playing psychologist, just observer. There's something to be said about just saying like, you know, not having to have that 19th justification for saying no. It's just like, no, I, I can't right now. Just to be able to d- say it that way, I think could uh, also provide people with a little bit of, um, I don't know, maybe a little bit of peace of mind in that approach. Uh, maybe it's just it's, me. It's a simpler approach, but it's also more challenging for most people. You know, most people need to provide an explanation of why not or leave themselves an out. So what I always counsel people to do is practice saying no, leaving yourself the out, the maybe, the, you know, the explanation and work your way back from that. Like, I think it's a goal to strive towards. I'm horrible at it. Like, I always need to be like, I'm really sorry. I've got this going on. I need to have some reason. And, but you're right. I mean, I really admire in people when they're just like, no, I don't feel like doing that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Cool. Like I totally respect that when they say it, but I have a hard or time. Or just I can't it do it. Yeah. Or or yeah. I I can't. Sorry, I can't do that right now. You know. Yeah. And and like it's not um, like you. Most people push and be like, why? Like, do you know what I mean? Like it's right, right. Yeah. And and you got to wonder about the people that do push and say why. You know, that's kind yeah. of that's, that's kind like of a like flag. a special type of person, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does that. So I think um, I think. I think what you're saying is, is right. But I think even though it seems simpler, it's harder for people. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, if you think about that on the step of the path, if you're having trouble saying no, allow yourself to say no and give yourself like a way to say it, like practice sort of a rehearse in your mind, a way to say it that gives you sort of that sense of out and, and makes it easier for you. And then, and then you might get yourself to a point where you can just say, no, I can't do that. Yeah, I like the rehearsing. Be like, yeah. check it, check it, like, no, or no. Is this too much? It is too much. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, the other that's thing I, I think is uh, an important point, sorry to digress, no, uh, is the uh, no. of compassion. We did the uh, did a show with um, Michelle Sorensen that focused mm. on that. And mm-hmm. I think for healthcare, every healthcare provider needs a little bit of this especially because I think a lot of them, a lot of us feel like we're invincible. We think we're, we got these superpowers. We're not, we think we're special. Yeah. And part of that mindset is like, we don't need to take care of ourselves, but, and, and, uh, but I think, you know, having that little bit of emphasis on being compassionate and thinking about, you know, what, what you're trying to like, whatever you're going through is not 
necessarily easy, uh, depending, uh, you know, what stage of where you are in life. Um, but yeah, often you're whatever stage you might be in, it's not easy. And to, to tell yourself, Hey, it's okay that you need that time off. It's okay that you need a break. That's, that's, that's yeah. absolutely fine. I think. Yeah. The, the other thing, the other thing I think is that in healthcare, like we idolize the people who are selfless in their care. And it makes me think of some stuff I've listened to recently about, um, that, that sort of, um, uh, I guess that, that feature, I don't know what you would call it, that dynamic, um, in motherhood that like a mother, the best mother is the selfless mother, you know, the, the, and selfless, like think of that term, like where this comes from Glennon Doyle's recent book, Untamed. Um, so, so selfless is like, think about that. It's like somebody who like, they don't exist. Like literally the self is not there and they just give, they're just there to exist for other people. And I think we do that same type of thing. We idolize those types of people in healthcare. Like, you know, Glennon Doyle talks about you're not a mother if you're not a martyr. I would argue that people think that like the best healthcare workers are like the martyrs, like the ones that throw themselves, you know, into their profession at all other costs. And we do, we, I, we recently talked about this, you know, in some personal relationships we have with people in healthcare, like we idolize those people and what they've done in their work, but there's been a cost to them outside of their work. And so I, I think that we, um, we need to reframe that in our own minds, um, you know, that to be a good healthcare worker, to be an excellent healthcare worker, we don't need to be a martyr. We don't need to be selfless. In fact, if we have balance, if we value the self, if we are compassionate towards the self, if the self exists, we um, can be a good healthcare worker for most of us for a longer period of time, giving more over our lifespan. Um, But also, if we're compassionate towards ourselves and we allow ourselves to exist, then we tend to have better connections at work with patients, with staff, um, you know, and, and the relationships are better. And that's a different quality of care, right? Over quantity of care. So just thinking about that, like, you know, and that's some of that journaling and stuff that can be done around self-compassion is like, where do I fit in this? When am I allowed to be, you know, to, to exist in, in my job? When am I allowed to need? That's some of the deeper work around it. But I, I think there's, um, there's issues in healthcare with the way that we celebrate uh, people and their achievements um, and the type of achievements we celebrate that contribute to this issue with not setting boundaries, frankly. Yeah, I, yeah I, I've seen the detriment of the selfless clinician all the, like too sure. often. And, yeah. it, it, and it's... It's as you said, you might not be able to reach as many people if you are having that approach. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that. I, I just seen the, the, the toll, the burnout. It's yeah. No, I think you're, you're right on uh, coma. Okay. Our last question today, the toll of alcohol on the body and mind. Wow. Okay. So I'll just say this. I mean, the I think maybe this has come up a lot, you know, post COVID or peri COVID, whatever you want. Like, I'm, I'm sure alcohol consumption has gone up dramatically. I like that you said peri COVID. Like, it sounds like we're like 
moving out of it post COVID, peri COVID. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, we're on anyway, the worst. That just made me. Yeah, positive. we're on this like the latter half of this. That's for sure. Yeah. A lot of it's going to be dependent on how our leaders respond to, you know, yeah. some further uh, obstacles. But you know, well, realistically, we should be on moving out of it. Looking, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and more people are drinking. I mean, I I can't prove it, but I just you just get that sense. And I think, you know, if you look at the extremes on the body, you know, we see evidence of extreme alcoholism all the time in the intensive care unit. So, you know, liver damage leading to, you know, advanced dementia, um, you know, earlier death, uh, it could lead to, you know, bleeding in your, um, in your gastrointestinal tract, muscle wasting, Late stage, you get this condition called ascites, where you you know fluid accumulates in your belly. You get hepatic encephalopathy, which is just like your 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 liver's failed and inability to remove toxins allow you uh, makes you confused and at times uh, agitated or sleepy. Um, you know those are the extreme ends of things. I think before that, obviously, you know uh, this might be more along your lines, but. You know, your mood could be affected, your your ability to sleep could be impacted, you know, so there's a lot of detriments, but like, if we're being honest, this is a part of our culture too, like a part of being social uh, at times, you know, you go for beers after a sporting event or uh, you go for drinks after work. And to me, it's all about moderation, you know, and I think there are some signs where you think, actually, I'm going to leave that for you, signs when you think maybe you're you're pushing the envelope with the amount of alcohol consumption but overall like on the extreme end obviously this is, could be a fatal illness and we see it all the time uh, alcoholism leading to death but um I, i'm i'm assuming the person's asking more on the before you get to that kind of aspect so maybe more on the mental health psychological side Catherine Carmen hi well, yeah, I, I mean, I just wanted to jump in on some of the physical stuff. I know you were touching on that in the extreme end, but we also, I, and I'm not speaking as a doctor here, but just speaking on personal knowledge, and maybe you can speak more as the doctor towards it, but we know that alcohol uh, use, the more we drink alcohol, the higher the risk of cancers, especially for, for women. And that's actually, I think, the from something I, I read recently, that's the number one risk factor uh, for, for cancer for women uh, is alcohol consumption. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I'm on with you in terms of everything in moderation in this regard, as long as it's in moderation and we're able to keep it under control. Um, but I think probably what this question is speaking to is how it has been a bit of a slippery slope for many people over this past year. And I think we do actually have the evidence that people are drinking more. I think there's evidence from liquor sales that liquor sales are way up this year. Um, and I think there's evidence um, uh, also at least we've uh, spoken uh, to people anecdotally who work in substance abuse and they uh, have mentioned that they're seeing cases where people have been sober for years and then in the past year and a half have, have had a um, relapse. What do you call it? Yeah. Relapse. Yeah. And so um, I, I mean, I think we do know people are drinking more. So I think this question is more speaking to that, that regular everyday consumption. So we know that it increases your risk for a number of illnesses. Um, I think we also know um, that it interferes with sleep. And my understanding with alcohol is that it often it's a sedative. Uh, so it's at the higher doses, right? I think at the lower doses, it's, um, uh, 
like activating yeah and then and then in the higher yeah disinhibiting exactly and in the higher doses as you see at the end of the day my my brain starts to lose its words but um and then in the higher doses it's sedating so we often have better time falling asleep and a lot of people use it to help themselves relax and fall asleep um but then it's actually is that right at the lower doses it's disinhibiting like i think the main thing is that you like I mean, I think the main thing when it comes to this is that you're when it comes to sleep anyway, like it's it interferes with the cycle. Yeah, like you have like you're less yeah. likely to get into deep sleep. Yeah, because people drink and they think it will make themselves fall asleep, which it does. It helps with sleep onset, but it doesn't help with the quality of sleep. So you're more Lord. likely to wake up during the night or have a lower quality Lord. sleep. Yeah. And, um, and so then there's, there's that impact on sleep. And then we know that there's an impact on mood and anxiety as well. So there's definitely an association of alcohol use, even moderate alcohol use, moderate to high alcohol use, even without getting into the alcohol abuse territory, the substance abuse territory, um, that it's associated with higher uh, risk or instance of depression, anxiety, and a number of other mental health problems, even psychosis. Um, so um, all of that to say that it does have an impact on your mental health. And so if you dial that back from those severe, like diagnosable things, alcohol is a depressant, right? It will, it will affect your mood. It will negatively affect your mood. Um, and short term, it might help you to manage your anxiety because it's disinhibiting and it's a bit sedating. And it's kind of like uh, marijuana. A lot of people use cannabis for this, but long-term when you're using alcohol to help yourself cope with problems with sleep and mood and anxiety and all of these sort of stress or whatever is that you're not dealing with the root of the problem. So you're slapping a bandaid on it. And how many people say like, I, you know, I don't want to go on an antidepressant, but they're drinking three glasses of whatever per night and they're smoking a joint, you know, and it's like, well, so you're self-medicating for, you know, your issues, but you don't want to go on, on a, you know, pharmaceutical. Right. And so I think, um, I think that people have to be cautious with why they're drinking. They have to look at the reasons for why they're drinking. And maybe if it's starting to become the one thing or the most common thing that you turn to, to help yourself deal with stress or anxiety or whatever it is, then maybe starting to think about, okay, I need to find some other tools here. Um, so some warning signs that your alcohol use is getting too much from a psychological or use standpoint um, is that you're having trouble not drinking when you want to not drink, um, that you're drinking more than you want to when you say you're only going to have one, uh, that you're drinking more than one or two or three or whatever, um, that other people think it's a problem, uh, that you have withdrawal effects, right? So on the days when you're not having it, you're getting the shakes or things like that, that tends to be in yet yeah, the higher use realm. Uh, if you're having trouble, you know, disturbances in sleep and that type of thing, especially when you're not using, like that would be a withdrawal effect as well. Um, if people are letting you know that they think it's a problem, uh, or if that you're getting yourself into trouble. So you're drinking and you're, you're not able to drive because you've been drinking too much and that's actually, you got to get to work or you, you're jail. supposed to be driving your kids or something like that. Well, um, yeah, obviously big trouble. The other thing but is other, feeling guilty other forms when people of ask you about it. Is that the one? Yeah. Right? Uh, or well, uh, guilty. Yeah. Or feel guilty. I don't think no. that's an official criteria. Well, yeah, you'll know. We used to cage cutting down, get annoyed when people 
feel the need to cut down, get annoyed when people ask you, feel guilty about your drinking, and then the E. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyway, um, it's okay. <laughs> we don't all remember all the criteria off by heart for everything. That's why we have books. But um, but those are some good signs to watch out for yourself. And I think a, a big one is is watching out. Are you, are you drinking more than usual? Are you wanting to not drink on certain days and you're reaching for it anyway? Um, are you having two or three when you meant to only have one? Um, so those are good signs for you that maybe it's starting to creep up on you, even if you're not into the alcohol abuse range. And and then if you're in that territory, some things that you can do is, I mean, change up your social situation a little bit. So you can like move away from social situations that promote drinking and look to do other things like going for walks with people, working out with people, whatever, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing that, uh, uh, that you can do is you can have, uh, we talked about this before with something else, I think on the last Q and a session about substituting. Um, so make sure that you have another go-to drink with you, um, and available for you in your house. Sometimes it helps to remove the alcohol from the house. If it's getting to that point, go ahead and do that. Like have a dry house for a period of time, just, and really get your partner involved. If you have anyone else at home who drinks, get them involved and just say, I think I really need to take a break. Can you help me out with that? You know, so can we both go off for two weeks a month or something like that and just really sort of wash out our systems and wash out the habit of drinking? Um, let's have a dry house. Let's bring all of our al alcohol over to the neighbors. They'll be thrilled or even you can just house it in their garage for a while and then have a substitute for yourself. You know, when you go out, know what you're going to order before you go. So, you know, typically everyone goes out for beers. You're going to order ginger ale, you know, so you make that, you make that order automatic as opposed to having to say, oh no, I don't want beer. What am I going to order? I don't know. Have something in mind that you know that they'll have. I mean, just, just a few tips and then, and then seek, um, seek help. You know, there, it has actually been a problem this year. So if, if your drinking is a problem, then, then seek help. Amen. Sure. Amen. Yeah. Listen, great advice as usual, Catherine Caraman Tang. I got. I want, I'm full of it. Full, you are full of it. <laughs> I'm full of great advice. Uh, that's what I was about to say. Um, yeah, I know that's what you like, meant. Listen, yeah. guys. Th oh, well, <laughs> thank, thank you, Catherine, as usual. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Please send in more of your questions. We're gonna do our, our best to address them. Those that are on solving wellness, you can send us a direct message or go to quadcast99 at gmail.com. Drop a message there. You know, those that are listening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter at Quadcast. Uh, leave that five star rating. It matters. It, it improves the visibility of the show. What's up? And uh, solvingwellness.com. This is where we're doing it. We're, we're, we're trying to make a difference, y'all. And uh, changing the boogie. Changing that boogie. Anyways, love you, mommy. Beautiful. Love you. Yeah, peace.